Baltimoreans. This is uh, extremely two- 2023 podcasting we are doing right now. Let's do it. Uh, hello, Baltimoreans. You're How listening. y'all doing? You're listening to Baltimoreans. We're all over the place here. We're all, we're all over the place here. I'm talking to Alan Smith at Penn Station. Uh, excuse you, sir. This is Peter Moynihan trains the trail, train hall in Pennsylvania Listen, Station. I take a strictly Shea Stadium approach to Penn Station. Do you understand? <laughs> I do. I do understand. There will always be now, only one, and it will always listen, be messy. Although I'm I gotta say, the new the new Moynihan is good, man. It's, it's a nice place. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that you know I can see light above your head, and you know the Penn Station I remember uh, was sort of like being imprisoned in a tomb. There's signage that tells you correctly where you want to go. It's wild. What? What? What is this modern world where there's light in Penn Station and the Orioles are in first place in the American League East? What is this world? It's the world that I've always wanted to live in. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's one that I just didn't ever have the verbiage or honestly the hope to imagine until now. The audacity to dream, Smith. The audacity to dream. Isn't that what great architecture is supposed to inspire in us? Truly. The the, yes. the beautiful the beautiful arch uh, light of Moynihan train station the beautiful arched splitter of uh, Felix Bautista when it's actually arching and not just hanging there for Tucker to hammer into the stands. <laughs> well, and isn't architecture a wonderful place for us to begin our conversation this week? Because uh, as we learned uh, recently, the entire future of the Baltimore Orioles franchise is being held hostage in fact, by architectural greed. And uh, it's just the most upsetting thing in the world. But let's, let's wait until we... Let, let's wait a moment to get to that. Let's first say... I don't, I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can <laughs> wait a moment because it, for this, that story to come out this week... So Sam is, of course, referencing the story in which apparently John Angelos is essentially doing a traditional... Um, bad owner slash mobster shakedown of the city of Baltimore demanding um, hundreds of millions more dollars and the right to develop uh, public land so that he can make more money in exchange for uh, agreeing to keep the Orioles where they effing belong. Can and I just say, it, can I just say, for a notional Democrat, it's an exceptional Donald Trump impression. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the thing that the thing that really is inexorably tied up in the whole free Kevin Brown schmazzle for me is that those, you know, those stories happening in the same week, really like it just continues to underline the fact that the Angelos family is more and more proving to me that they are just capitalists. They're not interested in the team for the the competition. They're not interested in the greater good or the glory of the Orioles. They're interested in how to wring as much money out of it as possible. And I don't think you can look at this story coming out this week and then the decision to suspend Kevin Brown for, I mean, I think we can all agree, literally nothing. But the only way you could spin that suspension at all is to say, Angelos is incredibly protective of the brand. And if someone is not correctly toadying up to the brand in his estimation, he's going to fire them or suspend them or, or whatever he's going to do. And that to me is just like, 
it's it's like brand protection such that he can continue to get as much value out of this like assumed team as possible and that goes to not spending money on the team and that goes to not signing the lease until the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland gives him 300 extra million dollars it's just like well, I don't know. And man. I, have to, I, I always felt like dad had like a bit of redeeming quality. Sorry for stepping on you. But like, no, I, no. I, I, son does not like, I, I don't know, man. There was moments when I felt like this dude got Baltimore and I do not think that. Well, there is a difference, I think. I mean, you're, everything you're saying is exactly right. But there is a, a sl- subtle difference, I think. Not to, you know, we're, I'm going to slightly defend Angelos the Elder here. Um, but it's it's really just damning with faint praise. I think you could. No, but I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I think if you could, if you squint, look at the actions that Peter Angelos took in a lot of cases and say he was protecting the brand, but for him the brand was the Baltimore Orioles. And what's so disgusting about what John Angelos is doing is that for him the brand is John Angelos. It's not the Orioles. Um, and he thinks that what's good for him is, I don't even know if he thinks what's good for him is good for the city, good for the team. I think he's only no, thinking he thinks what good for him about good what's for good him. for him. Yeah. Um, well, stop. Yeah. And, and how much he can value this commodity at and how much he can leverage. I mean, what he's essentially doing right now is mortgaging the Baltimore Orioles future against a slightly better term, um, and a slightly better ability to print more money in a world where he doesn't have any use for more money. I mean, I know this is a tired and sort of like <laughs> hackneyed thing from me, but what what are you going to do with the extra three hundred million, John? No one's going to yes. like you anyway. Especially, espe- yeah, it's never going to make you feel like a bright, shining boy. And nothing's ever going to be good enough. And also, the... $600 million of taxpayer money that are already available to him are not enough. He needs to, it, is it, is it just about getting as close to the B billion as he can? I mean, it's outrageous. The other thing I, that I think we have to point out here is the, there are some specifics that came out in all the, if there's any silver lining to all of the madness of this week, it is the really good reporting that was done by folks like Britt Giroli and uh, the Baltimore Banner, um, and I know the Baltimore Sun was all over this too, To and Ken Rosenthal, we have to say, um, the the mysterious and fickle Ken, Ken Rosenthal. Um, some of the things that came out about this are, it, it's like cult leader behavior. And one of them is that he has apparently gone through anytime there's publicly released video from a media availability where he speaks. If a reporter asks him a question that where he is made to look at all bad, he explicitly directs the Orioles media team to go through the video and snip those clips out before they are published um, for public view. Like the, 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 the combination of paranoia and narcissism that we are talking about with this person is, like, very extreme. <laughs> Especially when it's like, what he's so afraid of looking bad, being made to look bad publicly, when he's got us all... Does he really believe that 
Kevin Brown saying a thing in passing in a broadcast is going to make him make us like him less than we already do. Like, does he really think this is a, you know, a 50 50 thing that could go either way? Like it's 51 49. Like, no, dude. I think that your uh, comparison to uh, former President Donald Trump actually sort of continues to like gain traction in my mind here. Um, because I, I think that like there's a. <laughs> I think that like secession is a documentary. Um, and I think that generally (laughs) like when you have families that are exposed to unrealistic and unsustainable wealth, um, I don't even mean unsustainable. I just mean like unrealistic and, and sort of like world breaking amounts of money from, from birth. And yes, tragically, he you, has figured out a way to sustain it. <laughs> you never, you never manage to gain any sense of reality as a child in that world. And I think fundamentally, like what comes from that is this feeling of like being able to control everything, right? Like it's it's this idea that like you, because you have so much money, you don't have to live in the same world as everybody else. And that your money gives you ability and permission to control like all of reality around you. And that's what, that's what it looks like when it's like, well, I said a a thing that I didn't totally like, let me have it scrubbed from the total record. That's what it looks like when you say like one person in my organization said a thing that I'm not so totally thrilled with. I uh, uh, would scrub him from the record or at least from the week of, of broadcasting baseball. And like, it's a it's a shame for the rest of us who have to live in that world but you're right like the amount of of having us by the ballsness of it all is so disheartening because in the system of franchises that we have set up he and only he decides about the future of this team and it doesn't matter that there are generations of people who have been rooting for the baltimore it doesn't matter that like that if you took a fan poll everyone would say that they were the more excited about like Kevin Brown being a good play caller than they have been since, you know, Gary Thorne had his last on-air drink. Like that (laughs) is not relevant. That's all based on what Angelos feels in the moment. And yeah, yeah, it's not a good way to run sports, man. It's not a good way to run anything. Yeah. Well, and just to make one more Trump comparison here that is like eerily accurate we're all uh, familiar, I think, with this this trope that happens with Trump where some famous person, whether it's a politician or a movie star or a pop star, will say something justifiably negative about him, will offer even the most measured criticism. And Trump will be like, well, uh, you know, uh, they certainly didn't feel that way when I invited them to my wedding or when they like stayed at my hotel, which is so indicative of this idea that you can just like buy people's unwavering support. And if you look at what John Angelos is doing, he thinks that Wes Moore, the governor, is going to give him this sweetheart deal to build Camden Crossing or whatever that he wants to call it, because John Angelos donated $6,000 to his gubernatorial campaign. He's like, no, no, I bought it. I bought it. Like I put a $6,000 down payment on this $300 million reward. So it has to go my way. And I let and I let the governor come and be Governor Splash. 
and right. like a like right. So it, that's the same thing as staying in the hotel. You're right. Like spot on. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So you know, remember that kid who um, it's like a couple years ago now, who um, he was driving. He was a young kid, wealthy kid, driving in a sports car, hit somebody, um, and I, I believe killed them. And his um, official legal plea was like something about like wealth. He he claimed like. Uh, like I'm too wealthy and there was some great term for it but basically he was like uh, I don't have a real sense of the world I've been raised in too much privilege and that was sort of like the legal defense that they tried to mount um, as to why he shouldn't do jail time for this thing and like oh man I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kick myself for not being able to uh, come up with the portmanteau but because it was so good but you kind of feel like that's what's in play with how Angelos faces the world. Like, you know, I, I, I think often these second generation folks, and it, I think this is really only true when it's like, you know, world bending, mind breaking wealth. But like when that is your reality, you, you don't, I mean, maybe it's just that you don't hear about the ones who are doing okay because they don't make it into the news. But like, it doesn't look like there's a lot of great examples of of high functioning second generation billionaires. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so I guess the question is, you know, the thing that we have been and I'm sure everybody listening to this has been texting each other about or talking to each other about over bottomless glasses of loose cannon IPA has this embarrassment poisoned the season has it uh, has, has the fact that, you know, this controversy came to light on an off day after a sweep when we had crested to 70 wins and were looking like we were really settling in for a, a truly exceptional stretch run. This Kevin Brown story comes out. The Orioles drop two heartbreakers in a row because the bullpen can't hold leads. Um, I think there were a lot of us who felt like the Angelos gravitational force is inescapable. How are you feeling about that as we make a merciful trip out of Baltimore? That's actually my silver lining. And I hope that the uh, public address system here at Peter Moynihan Station isn't drowning me out too much here. Um, But that's my silver lining from this week, which is like, as far as I can tell, like the, the, the doofuses reign in Baltimore, in, inside the clubhouse. Um, the, like, the, the people whose, whose job it is to play baseball and ignore everything else. I, to me, from everything that I have gotten from watching the team's, like, reactions to a tough loss and then, like, how they played against Houston, you know, until Felix Bautista threw that pitch or even came into the ninth inning, that was a pretty dominant win against a pretty great team. Um, and, you know, if, if the, the, our lockdown closer doesn't have a wobble, then we take that series. Uh, and, and it looks to me like, you know, people are still hitting, people are still rooting for each other. There's still a lot of joy in the dugout. Like, I think that these guys are 
really leaning into this thing that I've been diagnosing all season, which is they're like too goofy to know any better. Like, why not us? Why not now? And I think that that is like a really wonderful, valuable thing. Now, am I a little worried (laughs) that our alleged bullpen help is like so trick or treat (laughs) that sometimes he comes in and retires a side on nine pitches and sometimes he literally cannot throw strikes. Sure. Is it a little alarming that our like third setup guy is now on the IR with bicep soreness? Yeah, that's not great. Um, Like there are baseball concerns, but it doesn't seem like those baseball concerns are synonymous with like the like general bad vibes that the rest of us are experiencing. And I think that's the difference between being on a team and following a team. Like, I don't think that those vibes are getting into the clubhouse right now, which thank goodness. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think what you, the point that you just made is so important, Smith, that like, but for a couple of bad pitches from Felix Bautista and Fuji, this is actually an extremely impressive series uh, in the vein of all the series that recently preceded it and our concerns about Bautista and Fuji are real but really nothing happened in this series that hasn't been part of the experience of following this uh, exciting but somewhat flawed team all season long which is um that the bullpen gets a little shaky sometimes and if you take that out and you look at everything else that happened in the series, there's a lot to feel really, really good about. For one thing, Grayson yep. Rodriguez had an excellent start against the Astros. Um, Jack Flaherty had another very, very All impressive three starters, start. I would say. Yeah. All three starters were good. Yeah. Dean dealt. And, you know, all this concern about, like, uh-oh, it's getting late in the season. Are the starters going to be able to withstand this innings load? No trace of concern about that in this series. Um, Mountcastle continued to absolutely rake. Um, James McCann started hitting. What? Um, and the Adley Rutschman leadoff hitter experiment. Smith, can I just can I just tell you Adley Rutschman's triple slash in twelve games as leadoff hitter? He is hitting three forty with an on-base percentage of 418 and a slugging percentage of 553. You're putting Mullins in the nine hole. That's going to happen. Cedric, I love you, but that no, slot in the nine belongs hole. to Adley Rutschman now. Put him in the nine hole so that he's on base when Adley comes up four out of five times. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's roll what we got. Great. That, that's the only other thing I was going to say about this series is like, you know, the defense in center field, like Mateo in center field was tough to watch. Um, but that problem, that problem goes away tonight. Like it, that problem is over. It, it was gnarly <laughs> and, uh, you know, arguably cost us a game. But there's going to be series this season where we lose two out of three. There haven't been many. Houston is the defending World Series champion. Um, it's That's an extraordinary, even at their somewhat diminished level this year, that's an astonishingly good team. We were very competitive against them in all three games. Baseball-wise, the there's nothing to panic the about here. Have stats about uh, how many games the Orioles have had against 
in starting the game against 500 uh, greater than 500 competition. No, they're like they, they something something crazy like ten games more than the next team. Uh, they've had ten games more than the second place team of games where the opposition starts above five hundred, and they're like they're doing really well. We played a tough schedule. We played the toughest schedule. Yeah, and we have a series against Oakland coming up. We have a series against the White Sox coming up. We have a se- series against the diminished Red Sox coming up. A series against the Angels. Um, Arizona, who's also fading. Um, th- there is, there is, there is very little reason, baseball-wise, based on this series, to feel like it's all going to come crumbling down. But I do think it's important that we talked about this in the context of Angelos because, like, this is really what we talked about in our our episode from last week. Like th- that feeling that we all have as as Orioles fans that it it's constantly hanging in in the balance and we're and we're all about to get kicked in the stomach that that comes from the warehouse that feeling comes from the warehouse like that culture yeah, and, originates and the feeling um to me that like really kind of underlines that is not only you know like we've got a there's just such a like dot like a series of things, right? Because it's first of all, your first number one problem is you don't uh, you you you're you're kneecapping Kevin Brown for no particular reason. Your second more structural problem is no lease. Your third like terrifying problem is like what are you going to do with these young talents and like how much are you willing to like pay? I know that you know for a bunch of years we had a low um salary team salary by design because we were trying to be bad and great we've done that but now it's time to like pony up some big deals for Gunnar Henderson and for Adley Rutschman and you know that's not gonna be I mean and probably some of our current starting pitchers like there we want to keep these guys around so what are you gonna do with those questions like the feeling of getting like a pending kick in the balls is <laughs> not even always just baseball related. <laughs> it's just this feeling of like the 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 whole team is in any moment kind of teetering in all of its definitions and that's not what you like to see. Yes, and and ordinarily it would feel like somewhat paranoid thinking to believe that the owner of a team would punish a fan base for uh, being mean to him on Twitter and just like refuse to open the wallet. I think John Angelos is that petty. Like for his behavior would indicate that, guy. that he is that petty. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. I think, it's he's that so guy. Sad. I think he's, he could be the person who decides like, I'm not going to pay Adley Rutschman because people were mean to me. Yeah. Well, uh, we will hope for continued good outcomes on the field uh, at Safeco, T-Mobile, whatever the hell they're calling uh, the Seattle ballpark this week. Um, Alan Smith, you know, we've asked, as usual, a lot of very trenchant, difficult questions um, on on the program today. And I thank you for uh, for dialing in from the chaos of uh, Moina, Moina Maverick Handley state, uh, Station. <laughs> Um, but there is one more question I, I do need to ask you before you board the train, and that is this. Um, what would you call former Orioles prospect Henry Yerudia, uh, 
when he is quoting the uh, seminal Robin Williams character, Mork, from Mork and Mindy. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm only going to say it quickly because uh, I know you have to get on the train. You would call him Henry Nanu Nanu Rudia. Of course, Nanu Nanu. Go O's. Go O's and safe travels to Alan. Baltimoreans. <laughs> <laughs>